This morning we are continuing our series in the second week of our series entitled Happily Never After. Uh, surefire ways to ruin your marriage. How to ruin your marriage. And it's kind of a comical look at some of the ways we approach marriage in our society today. Uh, I believe that God created marriage. I believe that he designed it. I believe that when he made Adam, he looked down and said it's not good for man to be alone. And so he made Eve. And he put the two together in the garden. And God made man and woman for each other. And he designed us to complete one another. That both exhibit characteristics that are true to the nature of who God is. That it is through the relationship of marriage that the relationship that Christ has with us is truly revealed and best imitated in this life. But the church today is struggling it's hurting. The divorce rate in the church is just as high as it is in in the world. It's somewhere around 51, 52%. And this is not to, to shake your finger or condemn anyone who is, has been through that, but simply to state that it's it's hurtful, it's painful. When you've gone through that kind of heartache, when you've gone through those circumstances, when you got then you you know that that is not God's plan for people. That's not what God wants in our, in our life. And um, while we can never be wholly responsible for the other person, I believe that we can do things ourselves, and we can do things as a couple if both are on board that will add strength to our marriages, that will encourage us, that will give us a strong foundation to stand on. If you are not married in this place, uh, it's okay, because one day, God willing, you will be. And you, you need to know these foundations, because I promise you, the world is teaching its foundations. It's teaching its truths. It's teaching the things that it wants people to believe, and it is the reason why we see so much heartache. You see, I have a theory that God is not some fuddy-duddy up in heaven who's trying to rain on our parade and trying to end all of our fun. I believe that every command, that everything he said for us to do, that every way he wants us to live was not meant to rain on our parade, but was meant to give us the best life that we could possibly live the best potential for an abundant life. That when we live God's way, things, while they don't go always perfectly, they just they tend to flow more smooth. And there's a peace and a security in that. And I believe it is true in our marriages and our relationships as well. Last week we talked about the fact that one surefire way to ruin your marriage is if you make your spouse the one. If you make them the one, the one person who is responsible for your happiness, the one person who is responsible for your peace, the one person who is responsible for your joy. I cannot tell you, even as a younger minister, the couples that I have counseled that sit and just 
point the finger at the other one and, and sit and just rail, rail on the other person and never step back and listen to themselves. And what has happened is somewhere in themselves, though they would not come right out and say it, they have put all their happiness, all their joy, everything good in their life, they have put the responsibility of it upon their spouse. And their spouse was never meant to fulfill that. Could never fulfill it. Impossible for them to fulfill it. It is only God who sits in that place. You see, we were meant to pursue God. We were meant to serve God. And while we were serving Him, God said, Hey, it's not good for, you got, for Him to be doing this alone. Let's make Him a companion who can serve me together. They can both serve me. They can both pursue me. They can both chase after a relationship with me together. Not chase after a relationship with one another. Not uh, go out pursuing and seeking to, to fall in love, but that we together could have companionship and strength. Marriage is about something deeper than simply finding someone to spend our life with. It's about so much more than that. And when we make it something less, something carnal, that it's about either that person fulfilling my happiness, or for some people, it's that they want to be the person who fulfills the other person's happiness. And they have tried to place themselves in a position to be their spouses, their mates' happiness, their mates' everything, their, their, their source, their strength. And when they are not, they, they become very controlling, very, very aggravated, and they start trying to rein things in. Why? Because they're trying to be the deity, the God in their spouse's life. And we were never meant to do that. And when we live in this way, we cannot operate under the blessing and the favor of God because God will not have His position, His position, I can't speak this morning. He will not have His place usurped. Goodness gracious, couldn't get that out. He will not have His place usurped. He will not have His throne overturned. He wants to be King and Lord of our life, and He will not allow anything else to take that place. And anything else is idolatry. We have idolized our spouses and held them up to a place that they can never hope to reach. And so one surefire way to guarantee that your marriage crashes and burns is to hold them up to that level. This morning we're going to talk about a second surefire way, and that is to treat love as if it is only a feeling. As if it's only a feeling. In our society today, there is a message that is being preached on every channel, in every commercial, on every talk show. It doesn't take long to turn it on and to find out. It is a message that what makes you happy, do it. It is a message that true love means total acceptance of everything. As long as your actions don't directly affect me, then 
true love is just pursuing happiness, right? And it's reduced the love relationship. It's reduced the dynamic. It has other effects in other areas of society. But as far as it goes with marriage, pertaining to relationships, it has reduced love down to simply a feeling and whatever makes you happy in the moment. And what it's teaching people is that if you wake up one morning and you're not happy with the person sitting next to you, then it's probably time to move on. It's probably time to find somebody else. And whatever your situation is, you may or may not wait until you call the relationship to an end to begin another relationship. And our society today says that that's okay. Oh, we demonize cheating and we'll say, oh, well, it's bad. People shouldn't cheat on it. They shouldn't, you know, be uh, unfaithful and do all these things. But at the same time, you can watch movies. You can turn on a lifetime and they will make a hero out of a suffering person in a marriage that they don't want to be in who begins to cheat and have a relationship with somebody else. And, and they will go on and, and leave this one person for this other. And our society is pumped full of this all the time. We're taught that love is a feeling. Love, love is how it's mushy-gushy. It's butterflies in your stomach. It's, it's that puppy love. And, and somewhere along the way, so many marriages fail after a few years because one morning they woke up and they realized that I don't have the butterflies in my stomach anymore. My heart doesn't skip a beat every time. You know, she walks into the room every time he says my name. And you turn the radio on, you turn the TV on, and everything that's told to you is that that's what love is. And that if you don't have that every second of every moment of every day, then you're not really in love. And it's just not the case. And we're indoctrinating our children with this. Disney is the biggest proponent. And no, don't get me wrong. I, I love Disney. I like my, my Disney household. Okay, my, my kids watch Disney, but I, I try to teach them beyond just the songs that they hear, that they latch on to. You know, you, you've got uh, The Lion King that came out when I was a kid. My kids love that. It's got Can You Feel the Love Tonight? You know, it's, you know, about these two lions that have been fighting, been apart, and now all of a sudden they just they feel love for one another. We feel the love. Yes, love is a feeling. Uh, you know, you got Ariel who's sitting in a boat, and they're you know, kiss the girl, tra la 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 la, kiss. Sorry. Anyways, so there, it's all about you know, physical love. It doesn't matter that. They've never talked to one another that Ariel lost her voice, and they can't even have a conversation. But they're attracted to one another, so they should just go ahead and make out. Hey, makes sense. You know, person may be a total, you know, dirtbag, total creeper. But, you know, you had a momentary attraction to them, so the love message of today is, hey, just go ahead and kiss them. You know, go, go right ahead. You know, you got Aladdin, it came out, you know, the whole new, whole new world. This love relationship, that it's supposed to be this eye-opening experience, this continually producing new things in your life, continually producing a, a, a deeper experience, newer experience. And, and when people get to the place, you know, a few months, a few weeks, 
few years into their marriage and they wake up and realize that they're not in that place anymore, then they suddenly start getting very angry and very bitter about their relationship and angry towards the other person because, again, now we've made them responsible for our feeling, right? We've made them, we've put it off on them that I'm supposed to feel love and it's your fault if I don't feel this mushy-gushy feeling, right? So we put it off on, on our spouse and, and we've made love, degraded it to just a feeling. When love was meant to be so much more than that. See, love was meant to be a covenant. Love was meant to be a deeper truth that produced a feeling. It produces a feeling. But it was meant to be so much more than that. Our society today looks at other societies that have arranged marriages. And I'm not saying that we should revert and, and go back to that. But the marriage rate, the lasting marriage rate is much, much higher in a society that has predominantly arranged marriages. And it's not because the, the women are abused and, and, and their property and have no rights. And there are some cultures that still do that where the women have equal rights just like they do here in our culture. And the marriages still last longer. Why? Because you have two people who came into the relationship with an understanding that this is work. That we're going to work towards loving one another. We're going to commit ourselves to each other. And we may not have the feeling right now, but we believe in a couple of years after we've drawn closer together, we will have that feeling. We will have that feeling. Because the covenant of a love relationship, of marriage, the covenant of marriage was meant to produce a feeling of love. Just not all the time. There are days, we're human. There are days that Rachel looks at me and says, you're driving me crazy. I can't stand you. Go to another room. In all honesty, it's probably my fault, okay? I'm, I'm not putting it off on Rachel, you know? Look, I, I can be uh, very high energy, uh, like a little, you know, little chihuahua, a little bouncing dog. I, I know you can't imagine that at all, you know? Like, hey, 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 look at me. Hey, hey, hey. You know? And Rachel's going, just calm down, back up. And there are days that I wake up and I look over and Rachel's done something that just really irritated me and just it's just driving me up a wall. And we're not very happy with one another in that moment in time. We're not feeling all those mushy-gushy feelings. And so in that moment we have a choice. Do we dwell in how we feel right now or do we focus on the fact that we made a commitment to one another and no matter whether or not we like the person right now, we're going to work through this and get back to the place where we have the feelings for one another. And it takes, it does, it takes two people to commit to that. I, I understand that. It takes two people in a relationship to, to commit to pursuing uh, God to commit to pursuing their relationship as a matter of fact if you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 5 we're going to look at 
uh, verses 21 through 33 this morning. As you're turning there, I'll just read the first scripture. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This next passage of scripture that we're getting ready to go into is probably one of the most hated scriptures, the most politically incorrect scriptures today. That if there is one, if there's some scriptures that people pull out with a problem with the Bible, they say that the, the Bible is sexist, that it, it degrades women and doesn't, doesn't support their rights, it doesn't support these things. It's these next few scriptures that are getting ready to flow out. But when we read scripture, how many people know we have to read it in context? We have to understand the truth. You see, when you pull one scripture out, you can make it say whatever you want. I used to, as a youth pastor, and I still do it today, I think I've shared it before, but I used to tell my teenagers, I said, you have to be careful how you read the Bible. I said, because I can take Philippians 4.13, and if I just say I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, then I can pull out a gun and shoot you if I want to. Hey, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, right? I can do it because Christ gave me strength to do it. I got strength in my body. And, and you're looking at me, you're saying, Pastor, that's crazy. But people do it all the time. Maybe not to that grand of a scale. Maybe not to that extreme. But we look at a scripture and we pull it out and we make it mean something that it was never meant to mean. It was never meant to do. And, and so we, he tells us first to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That in a marriage relationship that we were meant to submit to each other. And our marriage relationship is just like any, anything else having to do with God. It's about selflessness, not selfishness. It's about what can I give, not what can I get. How can I pour into this person who God has blessed me with? How can I minister to them? How can I help them? When we are more concerned, when both parties are more concerned with the other one's feelings and rights, then that is where you begin to truly see a happy and successful marriage. And this is where people begin to, to get aggravated because they start, well, pastor, you don't understand. You don't know what she did. You don't know what he said to me. You, you don't, and we begin, we begin to get indignant and irate and angry. And we wag our finger and say, look at, look at how they've hurt me. And in that moment, we say, well, when, when they begin to fix themselves, then maybe I'll do that. When they do this, then I'll do that. And, and that's not what the scripture tells us to do. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he goes on and says, wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. I feel like it's important to notate a couple of things here. Number one, this passage of Scripture is not saying that husbands are their wives' redeemers. You cannot take the place of God. It is saying that husbands are placed into a place of responsibility, into a, a place of... Uh, being held accountable by God in their relationship. 
with their spouse, uh, that they are placing it that Christ was placed with the church. And part of that for Christ was that He was redeeming them. Well, when you read through this scripture and you see this, most people see wives submit to yourself. And what we don't understand is that when Paul was writing the scripture, that was just kind of a duh moment for everybody. Women were treated like property. Women were treated like just another, like a couch in the house, you know. They may, I'm sure there were people who were loved and there was love relationship, but but it wasn't a strong one. They, they just go out and make deals and they used, they used marriage to make land deals. They, made, they used marriage to make business deals. Kings and kingdoms used to do it all the time. They weren't the only ones doing that. People did it all the time. And they would go and you know, rack themselves up, you know, 10, 15, 20 wives. I don't know how on earth they did it. You know, I'm doing good to keep up with one. But you know, anyway, this is what they'd go and do. And, and so women were, were viewed in this way as, as subservient. And so when Paul's writing this, he's starting from common ground. He's saying, all right, wives submit to your husband. And everybody went, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Wives, you need to submit to your husbands. And then, then he goes on. But again, he's not leaving any conditions. There is nothing in here. He said, wives, submit to your husband. He doesn't say, hey, when you feel like it. If you feel love, then, then you do it. But he goes on and he says, and this is where you could hear the pin drop in the room. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This was unheard of doctrine and teaching in this day and time. For a husband to be told that he needed to love his wife. That he needed to care for her the same way Christ cared for the church. That he needed to love her in that same manner. This revolutionized. The, the Bible is the first thing that began to truly seek women's rights. That truly began to speak to equality in marriage. And the solution to equality in the marriage is that both of you submit to the other one. That both of you are subject to the other person because it's about selflessness it's not again nothing in here that's been mentioned this up to this point is about a feeling i've not seen anything that says anything about how we feel in the moment he doesn't say husbands if you really like your wife and you're attracted to her then you should you know take care of her and, and make sure you love her the way christ loves her it, it, as long as she's not getting on your nerves then you go ahead and you take care of her. No, he says, you love your wives the way Christ loved the church. That's a bold statement because the church has been historically rebellious. And when Jesus came, when he gave his life, we were still sinners. We couldn't even get it right. Paul wrote and said, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I do. What a wretch I am. What a horrible human being I am. I am just awful. 
Jesus loved us so much that even in our total defiance, our total rejection, our total sin, even when we give our life to Him and we make the same mistake over and over and over again and we come to God and we say, God forgive me, Lord have mercy on me, God heal me. That's the kind of love that He commanded us to have for one another. That's the kind of love He commanded husbands to have for their wives. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so the room goes quiet as they're reading this letter that Paul has written as he's beginning to, in essence, speak truth into the, the lives of the marriage that are around them. And he says, he goes on to say, To make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. He's talking about Christ here, that Christ love. this is, he's giving an example of Christ's love for the church, what Christ did for the church. And what he's pointing out here is that it's a lot of work. It's a lot of strife it's a lot of heartache it's a lot of, of crying and weeping it's a lot of it's not just easy breezy things it is something that we have to strive toward that we have to work at It says, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, it is for this reason, the fact that Christ loved the church, that he was willing to work at the relationship, that he was willing to pursue and, and, and redeem us, that he was willing to say, you know what, no matter the cost, no matter how much I have to work at it, no matter what I have to go through, I'm in this for the long haul. It is for this reason that a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. Now you say, Pastor, now that doesn't sound like the happily ever after that I've, you know, been taught, you know, in the fairy tales. That doesn't sound like once upon a time and then they lived happily ever after. What? It's absolutely true. It's not that. It is something more. And it is good. It is precious. But the best things in life do not come easy. The best things in life never fall into our laps. The best things in life come through hard work and perseverance. The best things in life come through that pressing through. And he says, the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. And we'll talk about this a little bit more next week. About the fact that there's a common phrase that people say today that marriage is 50-50. It's not 50-50, it's 100-100. Because the two become one. 
It's not divvying things up down the middle and figuring out what's fair. It is 100% we are committed to one another. It says, this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Wife must respect her husband. The husband must love his wife. He is speaking in a language of mutual submission to one another. He is speaking of a love that is something different than what we have been taught today. The love that he is speaking of is the same love that is exhibited in 1 Corinthians 13. That love is patient, love is kind. It holds no record of wrong. It's not that it just overlooks it. It's that it doesn't hold it against. It's willing to work through and press through and do what needs to be done so that we can have a healthy and a whole relationship. The same is true in all of our relationships in life. That when we live a life of love, of selflessness rather than selfishness, our life is so much more full, so much greater. It is so abundant. Because as we all know around Christmas time, it's better to give than to receive, right? When we live a life of of giving and generosity in every facet, in every area, that's when things begin to change. That's when things begin to shift. People today, they run into marriages because they feel something for one another. We call it love at first sight. Or maybe maybe it was love at just a couple of months. And the truth is that if we're honest about it, it's really not love, it's, it's just lust. It's just, hey, I, I find this person attractive. Because it hasn't gone to that deeper place yet. That we need to work at these things. We need to work at our relationship. We need to value it. It needs to be important to us. And we need to understand that... It's not just a mushy-gushy feeling. And that when we make our relationship about a feeling, then I feel slighted when I don't have that feeling. And who's the person who's responsible for it? Well, it's one of two people. It's either God or it's your spouse, right? People go to one of two things. They, want, they either blame God and get angry, and don't want to go to church, don't want to pray, don't want to have anything to do, because how dare God give me a marriage like this? Or they blame the spouse. Please do not misunderstand me. I am not speaking to abusive relationships at this point in time. I am not speaking to someone who is physically, mentally, and emotionally abusive. Okay? I think that those kind of relationships could be restored if the person who is abusing gets the help that they need. 
but we have to get to a place of safety. So do not misinterpret what I'm saying and take it to mean that we have to just endure people being cruel to us. But most of what I see in the common everyday marriage is not abuse. It's not cruelty. It's two people who got their feelings hurt and now they're being mean to one another. Like two kids on the playground when one accidentally trips the other so the other one gets up and shoves them. And then the next thing you know, you got a fight and a scuffle in the dirt and there's, there's blood and there's tears and there's all this going on because two people have been, been hurt and now what they're trying to do, the defense mechanism is to lash out and hurt the other person. But when I understand that love is not just a feeling, I may lose my temper. I may get aggravated. I may say things that I don't mean. And, and I have to go and apologize for those things. Because I have to make it right. I have to follow what the scripture says to be reconciled in my relationship. But I also understand that my relationship is worth reconciling. That it's worth pursuing. That if we want to truly have a strong marriage, then we have to be committed to it. It has to be a covenant. It is something more and something deeper than just a feeling. So much more. Because the same is true of our relationship with Jesus. Because much of the church today has converted Christianity to what I call a commercial Christianity. That says, I come to get from God and when I'm not happy, then I just get angry and go somewhere else. Looking to get what I want from God. Because we treat our relationship with God the same way we treat our relationship with our significant others, right? Where it's all about God making me happy and doing what I want. Rather than it being about what can I do to please my maker. So that when I walk through these doors on Sunday morning and I say, you know what? It's been a rough week. I got a bad report from the doctor. I... Things didn't go well on the, you know, something I was fixing, some, something's falling apart. I don't, I don't know what, what your story is. I don't, I don't know what it is, but we walk through the door and we, we don't feel like pursuing a relationship with Jesus. We don't feel like worshiping Him. We don't feel like lifting up His name. We don't feel like glorifying Him. We don't feel like it. However, we are committed because we are in a covenant relationship with our Maker and we say, even though I don't feel like it, I know it's worth my time. It's worth my effort. It's worth my energy. God wants more than anything else to bless our marriages, to bless our relationships. He wants to bless your marriage. He wants to bless your relationship, not only with your spouse, but also with Him. And it starts with us adjusting our mind and saying, you know what, God? I'm going to stop living on the lie that love is a feeling. And I'm going to begin to pursue you. God, right now, Lord, we lift our hands up to you. We surrender 
our lives, God. We surrender our, our, our dreams, our plans, our purposes, our inhibitions. God, we lay them down at your altar. And Lord, we say we want your plan. God, we have often tried, Lord, to do things our way. Lord, to, to make things about th- something that they are not. And Lord, while we all love to feel the feeling of love, God, I pray that you would continue to give us a strength, Father, to press through to that deeper place in our relationship. God, where our marriages, our relationships are not rocked by the storms that occur around us because they are on firm foundation, rooted in the covenant that has been made between the husband and wife, saying, I will love you. Come hell or high water, come death, come sickness, whether it's good or bad, I will love and I will care for you. It is not a contract, but it is a covenant relationship, and I will give myself selflessly to my spouse. God, we commit ourselves to your plan. We commit ourselves to your purpose. And Lord, this morning we ask, Father, that you would breathe life into every marriage. Lord, for those who are unmarried and, God, are one day going to enter into marriage, God, I pray that you would bless them and draw them deeper into this truth now, God, that they would pursue their relationship with you first and foremost and not simply pursue a feeling, but God, that they would seek to know the King of kings and the Lord of lords and God, that you would lead and guide their life and bless their future marriage. And God, we will be careful to give you all the glory and all the honor. It's in your holy and precious name that I pray, Jesus. Amen.